0: You are listening to the official SASTA podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, at hstebbings1996 with two Bs on Instagram. But to our episode today, and who does not love the Airtable product, and who wouldn't love to know the inner workings of Airtable as a company? Well, today I'm thrilled we can reveal more as we welcome Liet Beisel, VP of Customer Engagement at Airtable, the startup that works like a spreadsheet, but gives you the power to organize anything. To date, Airtable's raised over $170 million in funding from some of the best in the business, including Thrive, Co2, Founder Collective, C- RV, and individuals like Patrick Collison, Ashton Kutcher, and Raymond Tonsing, just to name a few. As for Liat, prior to Airtable, she was the Chief Revenue Officer at Assist. Before Assist, Liat spent six years at Twitter, where she first hand saw their hypergrowth, growth managing a team of 40 across New York and San Francisco, and Liat also achieved 102% to quota on average every year. Finally, before Twitter, Liat was the VP of Sales at Revolution Prep, where she led and managed seven offices. I'd also want to say huge thank you to the wonderful Howie Liu, Airtable founder for some fantastic question suggestions today. I do so appreciate that, my friend. But before we move into the show today, if there's one thing I honestly truly suck at, it's organization around one particular thing. Expenses. Keeping receipts. I lose them. Taking photos months later. Oh, it's a nightmare. And then we started using Clio, and it enables employees to buy what they need for work with no fuss and no more out-of-pocket purchases. Plus, you take the photo of the receipt in real time, so you don't need to go back to it months later and have it scrum pulled up and ripped, which is always the nightmare that I suffer. Also, the design of the app is just beautiful. Genuinely, it makes it quite fun to log receipts. I probably need to get out more hearing myself say that, but don't take my word for it. Take the word of 5,000 European companies that use Plio, from Viner Media to Voi and Byron, and check this out. For SaaS listeners only, Plio are saying, hey, go on your next business lunch paid for by Plio by giving you £50 or euros on the Plio card to trial. Genuinely, I absolutely love the product and you can check it out at pleoio forward slash Saster. and you know what is worse than scrumpled receipts? Misreported metrics. Everyone in your go-to-market org is punching above their weight, yet no needle of any sort is moving nearly as fast as it ought to. Each morning you wake up to the three big, increasingly hard to answer revenue questions. How do we sustain the revenue we're bringing in? How do we identify more avenues to grow revenue? And how can we get real-time visibility into the nooks and crannies of the revenue engine? If that's you, it's exceedingly likely that your revenue infrastructure and processes are headed towards a dreaded natural conclusion, or rather a tangle, a huge bowl of sass spaghetti. That diagnosis reveals a huge revenue operations problem. Head on to wwwchargebeecom forward slash revops to learn more about how to battle these debilitating inefficiencies in your revenue engine. And finally, every week we talk briefly to a WePay partner in a mini-series to get their best advice on achieving success, and currently we're talking to Tyler Amy, co-founder and CEO of Fusebill. Fusebill is the Leading recurring billing, payments, and subscription management platform, Fusebill ignites growth in businesses worldwide with a flexible subscription commerce engine.
1: Hi, Harry. The tip for this week is to assign everyone in your company with a quarterly number. This ensures that everyone from the top down is rowing in the same direction. Report on the progress of these numbers in your one-on-ones and management meetings, then reset every quarter. You will be amazed at how powerful your team can be if everyone is focused on a quantifiable goal every quarter. Heck, add a monetary incentive to it and see records get broken.
0: Thank you, Tyler. And measurable objectives with incentives are a great way to drive growth. And you can also find growth with the combination of WePay and Chase, which means payments you can bank on. To find out how you can add payments like Chase Pay and more to your payment solution, visit WePay.com forward slash Harry. That's WePay.com. Forward slash Harry. However, I'm now delighted to step aside and welcome the very wonderful Liet Beisel, VP of Customer Engagement at Airtable. Good! That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Well, Liat, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. I've heard so many great things, especially from Howie, but thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Harry.
0: Not at all. I've been excited for this one, but I do want to start on you. So tell me, how did you make your way into the wonderful world of startups?
2: And bluntly, how
0: did you make your way really to the rocket ship that is today, Airtable?
2: Yeah, so I've been at startups for most of my career. I was the 12th employee of a test company that grew to close to 200 employees by the time I left. Joined Twitter when they were really starting to build out the sales organization in early 2011 as the first sales manager hired. And after being there for over 6 years, I really missed the building stage of the company. I joined when there were 350 employees. And by the time I left, there were over 4,500. So left Twitter to join a super early stage startup in the AI and messaging space. And once I knew my time up was there, I started thinking about what was next. I thought I was going to join a later stage company after the intense 18 months I had at an early stage startup because I felt like I needed something a little bit different. But Dick Costolo, the previous CEO at Twitter, who's a good friend and mentor of mine, called me and said, Hey, don't join those other companies you're talking to before meeting with Howie from Airtable. And I knew Airtable, of course, he's a product a bit, loved what they were building, just thought I wanted something a little bit later stage. And then I met Howie. and then everything changed. I learned about his incredible vision, not only for the product, but his vision for the type of company he's building. And a few hours into our coffee chat, I knew I was going to work here. So it was a pretty powerful experience for me.
0: Well, well done, Dick. I think that's one hell of a recommendation. So uh, that's awesome to hear. I do want to dig in there because you were at such a transformational moment in Twitter's trajectory. And so kind of diving in there and really starting on the people side, I'd love to hear what were your biggest lessons on how to hire successfully at such scale?
2: Yeah, I would say the biggest lesson that I took from my time at Twitter, especially in the early days, was never to shortcut on hiring. It's so important to have a rigorous recruiting process, including checking references and back channel you know, this was definitely a challenge for us at Twitter when we were hiring 10, 15, sometimes 20 people at a time. I mean, it was so important for us to stick to the process. It was also really interesting to realize that it was really about hiring people that are flexible, resilient, and folks that really embrace change. When joining any high growth company, you need people who are amazing problem solvers, who are smart, scrappy, and can really thrive in a fast changing environment. I think you can coach business acumen and how to sell unique elements of your product. And it is so much harder to coach or change attitude or inflexibility.
0: I totally agree with you in terms of that kind of mental plasticity. Can I ask though, in terms of kind of keeping pipe full in the candidate pool, how do you think about that? And how do you think about working with recruiters? Often early stage startups, post-raise need to scale and hire quickly. How do you think about keeping that pipe full and working with recruiters?
2: Yeah, I think working with recruiters is absolutely necessary. I think that the earlier that you can start working with recruiters, the better. I think that keeping the pipeline full has a lot to do with what you're doing externally and working with recruiters, what you're doing internally and building out your recruiting team and and that function, as well as building a really strong referral culture. I think that some of the best hires definitely come from your employee pool and and that has definitely helped us keep our pipeline full both at Twitter and at Airtable as well.
0: Can I dig in on the referral element? Because I had Alex at Clearbit on the show and he said that he literally used to sit candidates down or sit current employees down and say, hey, let's go through your LinkedIn together. We're going to get some referrals. How do you really kind of instigate and activate kind of a referral program?
2: We obsess over it and talk about it all the time. So I totally agree with Alex there. I think it's really important to sit down with new hires, make sure that they understand who are the top priority hires that we're looking to fill. What are the highest priority positions and dig into their networks. Think about the best people that they've ever worked with that they would die to work with again and really make it a part of your everyday. It shouldn't just be like a referral blitz that you do once a quarter, but something that's talked about at company all, hands at team meetings in one-on-ones to really continue to make sure that that pipeline is full
0: totally no i couldn't agree more in terms of that continuing effort in terms of kind of the hiring at cadence so often the quality will sometimes vary and only be revealed post-hire what were some of the takeaways from that experience on kind of how why and when to, to maybe let someone go
2: Yeah, I wish there was an easy and consistent answer to this. I think it really depends on the person and the situation. A few takeaways for me from my Twitter days was that someone wasn't the right fit and we knew it in the first couple of weeks. We always pushed to move as quickly as possible. There were some situations where a few individuals demonstrated enough ability and got through the training but were not meeting expectations. And after a few quarters, when it became clear, we would move forward with a performance plan, which typically but not always would lead to termination. I think in general, it's only fair to the team, especially to those top performers, for the leadership of that organization to address performance issues as soon as possible. Can
0: I ask, how do you think, a lot of people often talk about internal migration from different role when something's not working. So maybe Jack's not being a great SDR, but maybe we could get him working actually in the AE division and that might work better. How do you think about internal transition between roles and when to try that versus actually when to cut your losses?
2: Yeah, I think that if it's very clear that the role isn't the right fit for the individual, but they do have a raw skill set that could absolutely be beneficial to the organization, I think that's very, very important to think through and address. I think that when thinking through uh, career paths, it's super important that there's alignment between individuals' career ambitions and also what is best for the company. So, as long as there's alignment there, I've been open to that in the past. And I think that those opportunities will continue to exist when sometimes people just don't. Don't start within the right role that's truly focused on their skill set. So if you can make that change and you can see that person be successful in another type of function or role, that's fantastic as long as it's aligned with what the company needs.
0: I love that alignment of personal ambitions and the objectives of the company. In terms of uncovering those personal ambitions, often you might hear one thing from the candidate, and it may not be actually their true personal ambitions. Is there a way to really uncover that and ensure that it does then align to the company's core objectives?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that career development conversation should be an ongoing conversation. So starting in the interview process to understand, you know, what are their true ambitions. And then as they start on the job, really having that understanding and alignment between the manager and the individual in terms of how they want to grow, what they want to develop, what are some weaker areas that they really want to focus on? It's really important to dig in there so it's not just, you know, well, I want to be the CEO of a company one day just because that's something that I've always said and it's gotten a good response. I also think that career paths and developing those are really, really important to help people stay motivated and really feel they're growing in their own careers. Again, as long as there's that alignment between their own ambitions and what's best for the company. If I were to only do what was best for me or what was best for my team when it wasn't really what's best for the company, we would run into a lot of issues. So it's definitely important to align the two and make sure that the managers are empowered to help set those expectations and to help people really discover what their ambitions are and and how to align their skill sets to match.
0: You mentioned the managers there and you've said to me before that when it comes to management that you maybe reject the notion of hands-off leadership. What did you mean by that kind of rejecting the notion of hands-off leadership and then how do you think about leadership with that in mind?
2: Yeah I don't think leadership is about pure delegation nor about micromanagement. So it's not only about living at the 10,000 foot view or losing the forest for the trees but it's about constantly and effortlessly being able to transition back and forth as needed. There are times when I'm in the weeds with my team, figuring out a new process or something or helping to solve a specific customer issue. And there are times when I'm empowering my team to own a project end-to-end or focused on setting the vision for the next year. So to me, it's really about hiring well, empowering those hires with the right context and strategic direction to really know how to create the impact that truly matters and understand why they're doing what they're doing. So then they can use their creative energy to get the right thing done without having to be super prescriptive and instruction. So handoff leadership just doesn't really resonate with me because I think it's not one or the other. It's actually just being able to be flexible throughout.
0: In terms of kind of understanding why they're doing what they're doing, often that's kind of driven by product, and what it can really enable the user and the customer to achieve with the product. I'm really interested because a question that I often have with my companies and companies I meet is whether we should go wide or deep or horizontal or vertical, another way of putting it. In my head, Airtable is a horizontal play. How do you personally think about the horizontal versus vertical? vertical debate and then where would you say Airtable sits?
2: Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about our product is that Howie and Andrew and Emmett went slowly and so deep with the product in the early days that it's inherent in the product design to be able to grow horizontally. You know, Airtable enables anyone to build their own useful collaborative business applications. And we have the opportunity to set this up both vertically and horizontally. So one of the reasons why Airtable is so great is that it can be anything to anyone. So it is horizontal, but also in a way vertical since each use case of Airtable is effectively a highly vertical application. It serves a wide diversity of different customer use cases, different industries, buyer role types, right? Like we're not selling to the same exact buyer every single time. But the value prop also changes distinctly between different use cases and industries. So with Airtable, customers are actually building their own domain specific applications. The value for a video company is production related, and the value for a construction company for Airtable is specific to that construction use case. So it's very, very different than other horizontal products out there. And we give people the building blocks that they can use to realize what those infinite possibilities are.
0: Before we go into the pros and cons of having such versatility of products, when you meet early stage founders today and they ask, do I go horizontal or do I go vertical? What do you advise them and what are the questions that they should ask to maybe determine their strategy?
2: If you can't go deep anywhere, you can't go wide. So if you're, over Okay at a bunch of things and not great at anything, then who is really going to care about what you've built? I think it's really important to be great at one thing and then worry about doing more. You know, some of the questions I would ask are, who is your market? What is your focus? It's about being thoughtful around the sequencing. It's very unusual that Airtable is uniquely positioned to do both, which is why, you know, as a sales and customer-facing leader, I'm so excited about the opportunity in front of us.
0: It is such a big opportunity in front of you, given the versatility. On the flip side, I'm I'm sure there are challenges. What are the biggest challenges of having such a truly versatile and horizontal product like Airtable?
2: Yeah, so since Airtable can truly be anything to anyone, it can also bring a lot of different challenges. So what we think a lot about internally is how do we create the necessary scaffolding to onboard different kinds of users when their use cases are all completely different. So many times it's the person creating the workflow that deeply understands and knows how they need the tool to work versus being forced to change the way you work because of the tool and having the ability to have a horizontal kit, kind of like a toolkit that you can go and build what you need to be collaborative and impactful in what you do is exactly what we're building. So it shouldn't be the software company in Silicon Valley dictating how you do your work. And our product team has built such an amazing product that it's our job on the customer engagement team to truly unlock its potential.
0: In terms of unlocking the potential, you said about the onboarding process there. I'm always fascinated by onboarding processes. What have been some of your lessons in terms of how to do onboarding the right way?
2: Yeah. So what we're experimenting with right now is actually a customer experimentation team that is really helping to decrease the time to value that customers get when they sign on to Airtable. So in your first 14 days, you would have the opportunity to hop on a screen share with a product specialist to really understand your use case, understand what you're really trying to build and help guide you through the process. So I think it's both important to understand what's needed on the product side. And it's also important to recognize that sometimes that human-powered types of experimentation which will actually lead into a pretty big opportunity for the company. And that's something that we're hyper-focused on right now.
0: I'm so sorry to go off schedule, but I am too interested. In terms of optimizing that customer engagement, as you said, with that human element there, does your role today really optimizing the customer engagement element, does that ever maybe come into contrast against maybe a chief revenue officer or a CFO who's thinking about the bottom line and margins when one has to bring in costly human intelligence? for maybe smaller contracts.
2: Yeah, I think the way that we're thinking about it is it's very, very unique to have all customer-facing teams under the same roof. And that's how we've really organized this team so that there's true alignment in both goals and incentives and making sure that we are doing everything possible to speak the same language, to make sure that our priorities are aligned and that our customers are getting the best possible experience. I think that too often in other organizations, whether it's, you know, Sales and customer success being completely siloed or sales not really understanding what goes into handling thousands of support tickets. Having all of those teams aligned has really, really helped us to make sure that every decision that we make is through what is best for the customer and we have that customer lens in every move that we make it as an organization. So for me, that's what I'm focused on in building out this team and you know, we're just getting started. So there's definitely still a lot to learn.
0: Totally. In, in terms of going back to the challenges of kind of the versatility of product... When it comes to messaging and brand, you mentioned, you know, some very interesting cases there, including construction and then also, you know, your traditional tech startups. You could name any industry given versatility of the product. How does that fundamental versatility affect how you think about messaging and brand?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. I think because it's so horizontal, the messaging really needs to be emotionally resonant. Our audience is made up of change makers and people that are constantly wanting to improve and are not okay with the status quo. You know, by democratizing software as a medium, we are changing the way the world sees and interacts with software. And that allows everyone to realize their true value and build whatever it is they need to be the most successful. So I think our brand messaging is very human centric and needs to continue to be all about our users.
0: Is it also challenging in terms of pricing, given the fact that one has to have consistent pricing, but also you might actually not have optimal value extraction for the product dependent on who's using it and what sector they're in? Is that ever a con- question or concern for you?
2: It's not a concern, but definitely a question. I think our pricing strategy will continue to evolve. You know, the core product is a free version. So there's nothing less than with our free product, which is truly amazing. I think that, you know, knowing that this product isn't a product that is hidden behind a fence and that anyone can build any workflows for free is incredible because you know, we create advocates and champions just through our free product. But then if you want to solve business use cases with our amazing pro features or build with larger teams through our enterprise plans with in-depth white glove you know customer success support we have those options too so our product is all about unlocking potential and giving you the most value at any stage and since we're building out a new category that allows technology to be accessible to anyone the green field in front of us is massive so i do think our pricing strategy will continue to evolve and it is something that we're talking a lot about internally
0: so if that's kind of the versatility of the product there and kind of how you think about brand product itself the pricing in terms of the structure and how it impacts the structure. If we start on maybe sales, how do you think maybe you're challenging the traditional sales motion with this category creation almost?
2: Yeah. We don't think about traditional practices or sales motions, but we think about what is best through the customer lens. So everything we do, every decision we make is focused on how to create the best possible customer experience. We don't have traditional linear sales process because we have multiple different plates based on diagnosing the needs of each customer. And it's really about listening to the customer and empowering them to build their solution on Airtable. And that means that we're not focused on short-term revenue wins or convincing a customer to upgrade if they need more time. really digging into the product and understanding that value. And we've also, like I mentioned before, thought about the org design to make sure that we truly drive customer empathy throughout the entire company.
0: Can I ask, what does the org design look like, specifically with regards to sales? Because I guess it's not the conventional AESDR structure. So how does it look?
2: It's not. So we have a customer engagement organization that encompasses all of our customer-facing teams. So as a part of this organization, we have sales, we have BDrs we have customer success, we have customer experimentation, and we have customer support. And I think truly being on one team, sitting all together, understanding the challenges of each different type of role and of each different type of function has really helped us to uncover potential inefficiencies before they happen um, and make sure that we are providing the absolute best customer experience.
0: Totally. No, I, I do get you. In, can I ask, in terms of your role, though, moving kind of one step along the funnel from sales within engagement, I always think we're seeing this kind of role of marketers where they create incredible content, but that content's being further pushed into the realm of customer success with much of it being used for kind of post-sale product engagement. Would you say that transition from marketers being lead gen activists to actual customer success officers in many ways, do you think that transition is fair? And do you see that?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I do see that, you know, we don't have a cookie cutter mold that we're selling that will solve all your problems. You know, you tell us what you're trying to solve and then we help you build the thing that you need. If we are partners to our customers customers, they become our champions and pass it on. So, you know, we are working very closely with our marketing teams on enablement and engagement post-sale as it's critically important to our company as we scale.
0: Now, we spoke about the busyness of life before the show. And so I I do want to touch on this because I think it's a super important one that needs more light shone on it. So speaking of kind of changing and challenging roles, can I ask, how do you balance parenthood with an intense leadership role? And how do you think this has maybe impacted how you think about environment building itself?
2: Ah yes. I think about this a lot and it's really about trusting your team and being hyper focused on doing great work, not necessarily, you know, how late you stay or how many hours you're showing in the office. You know, at Airtable, we're building a family-friendly culture where it's not frowned upon to go leave to pick up your kids or work from home if you're if needed because one of your kids is sick and you're in a child care bind. It's certainly a very intense and constantly mentally evolving job, but I try to set the right tone and ensure that for the two to three hours per day that I get with my kids, it stays protected whenever it can.
0: Can I ask for a founder, say, who's uh, wanting to really instigate and uh, activate a culture that does welcome parenthood and family-friendly nature, what can they actively do to instigate this? What policies can they put in place? What schemes can they do? What do you think can be done and what would you advise founders who want to create this similar culture?
2: They talk about it. I think it's really, really important and powerful for founders to talk about the importance of building an inclusive environment. And that is inclusive of folks from multiple different lifestyles that have a lot of different things going on outside of work. Like work and life is not so separated as it once was. And I think that founders do set the tone that, hey, like we want to make sure that we are building a very inclusive environment where it's okay for parents to leave, to go pick up their kids. And it's okay to make sure that when schools are off, that you, should feel like you're able to do your work in a way that works best for you and your family I think is, is a really important tip and I think that oftentimes you know when it's not talked about and it, and it might not be something that they also have going on in their life it's sometimes hard to show that empathy but I think that if you're actually able to talk about it and to make it truly a norm that hey like we want to make sure that we are creating the type of culture where it's high performing yes and there's a ton going on and, it, and it's a very very intense fast growing environment but we also recognize what you have going on in your life and we want to respect that. So that means maybe not having any kind of team outing doesn't always have to happen at night or maybe planning a team happy hour should happen, not the day of, but a few days before so that parents can plan for childcare. You know, things like that, the little things like that make a huge difference for parents that are trying to balance both.
0: No, I I agree. And I also just really agree with the transparency and open conversation around it. I think that's a big change that needs to happen. I I do want to move into my favorite of any episode though, being the 60 seconds faster. So I say a short statement and then you hit me with your immediate thoughts. Are you ready to rock and roll?
2: Sure, let's do it. Okay.
0: So as we said, time is short and tense. What are the challenges of prioritization?
2: Normally the fire burning the brightest isn't necessarily the worst fire or most important fire. So for me, the challenges of prioritization is knowing what fires to put out right away and what fires are okay to really let burn for a while. I'm constantly asking myself if what I'm spending my time on is driving the highest amount of impact. And it's tough when you're in hyper growth, trying to upgrade the plane while it's flying. As they say, everything feels like it's burning. So being intentional about what priorities can wait is critical
0: can I ask in terms of like determining for the show for example I always ask myself if I'm determining whether it's a priority I say will we lose say 5k if this doesn't get done and you know if it's like yes then I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it fast and if it's no then it's not the key priority do you have questions to determine the prioritization stack
2: yeah I think the questions that I ask myself are is this something that is really going to change the way that our foundation is built or or organization is going to scale? Is this something that is reversible if we move quickly on it? Is this something that is going to be dire for the business if we don't do it now, but we wait a quarter or two? And those are the types of questions that I consistently ask myself and the team around me.
0: I love the contrast there. Well, we lose 5k and then your incredibly intellectual and thoughtful answer. Moving swiftly on, tell me a moment in your life that's changed the way you think and maybe served as an inflection point for you.
2: Yeah, I'd have to say it was when my first baby was born. My entire mindset shifted about what matters most in life, what I'm capable of and what's really possible. I think having kids puts everything in a new perspective. They teach me something new about myself and push me in ways I didn't think possible. So I would have to say that.
0: Tell me, what are your strengths and weaknesses? 30 seconds on each.
2: Strengths? I think I listen well. I have positive energy. I bring a lot of passion to what I do. I build trust and and strong culture with people I work with weaknesses, definitely too stubborn at times. I need to know when to let go. And something else I'm really working on is that I need to delegate more.
0: I absolutely love that. I'm glad that we're not alone in the stubbornness element. I do want to finish though. What do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning? And it can be at the beginning of your time with Twitter, it can be at the beginning of your time with Airtable, but at the beginning of dot dot dot.
2: Yeah, so it's hard to answer at the beginning of Airtable because I really do feel like I'm just getting started on my journey here. And And there's still so much I don't know, which is what I expected in joining a hyper-growth company. You know, I'm showing up every day trying to uncover every new rock I can find. So my mind is really focused on figuring out what I don't know now, not what I wish I had known. However, I would say early in my career, you know, I wish I knew it was okay to make mistakes. I put so much pressure on myself and became a perfectionist at work that I didn't give myself time and space to breathe into those mistakes that I could truly learn from them. And now, you know, what I do differently is putting a spotlight on those mistakes to learn everything I possibly can from them and share widely and loudly with those around me so that hopefully we can all learn together as a team.
0: Listen, as we said before the show, I'm probably one of the biggest users. I absolutely love the product. So uh, thank you first for that. And I've absolutely loved the conversation. And so thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: As I said at the beginning, could not be bigger fans of Airtable here. And if you'd like to see more from Liet, you can find her on Twitter at Liet Beisel. Likewise, it'd be great to welcome you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can do so on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It would be great to see you there. But before we leave you today, if there's one thing I honestly, truly suck at, it's organization around one particular thing. Expenses, keeping receipts. I lose them, taking photos months later. Oh, it's a nightmare. And then we started using Clio and it enables employees to buy what they need for work with no fuss and no more out-of-pocket purchases. Plus, you take the photo of the receipt in real time, so you don't need to go back to it months later and have it crumpled up and ripped, which is always the nightmare that I suffer. Also, the design of the app is just beautiful, genuinely. It makes it quite fun to log receipts. I probably need to get out more hearing myself say that, but don't take my word for it. Take the word of 5,000 European companies that use Plio, from Viner Media to Voy and Byron, and check this out. For SaaS listeners only, Pl- Pleo are saying, hey, go on your next business lunch paid for by Plio by giving you 50 pounds or euros on the Plio card to trial. Genuinely, I absolutely love the product and you can check it out at plio.io forward slash sasta. And you know what is worse than scrumpled receipts? Misreported metrics. Everyone in your go-to-market org is punching above their weight, yet no needle of any sort is moving nearly as fast as it ought to. Each morning, you wake up to the three big, increasingly hard-to-answer revenue questions. How do we sustain the revenue we're bringing in? How do we identify more avenues to grow revenue? And how can we get real-time visibility into the nooks and crannies of the revenue engine? If that's you, it's exceedingly likely that your revenue infrastructure and processes are headed towards a dreaded natural conclusion, or rather a tangle, a huge bowl of sas spaghetti. That diagnosis reveals a huge revenue operations problem. Head on to www.chargebee.com forward slash revops to learn more about how to battle these debilitating inefficiencies in your revenue engine. And finally, every week we talk briefly to a WePay partner in a mini-series to get their best advice on achieving success and currently we're talking to Tyler Amy, co-founder and CEO of Fusebill. Fusebill is the leading recurring billing, payments and subscription management platform. Fusebill ignites growth in businesses worldwide with a flexible subscription commerce engine.
1: Hi Harry, the tip for this week is to assign everyone in your company with a quarterly number. This ensures that everyone from the top down is rowing in the same direction. Report on the progress of these numbers in your one-on-ones and management meetings and reset every quarter. You will be amazed at how powerful your team can be if everyone is focused on a quantifiable goal every quarter. Heck, add a monetary incentive to it and see records get broken.
0: Thank you, Tyler. And measurable objectives with incentives are a great way to drive growth. And you can also find growth with the combination of WePay and Chase, which means payments you can bank on. To find out how you can add payments like Chase, Pay, and more to your payment solution, visit wepay.com forward slash Harry. That's wepay.com forward slash Harry. As always, I cannot thank you enough for your support and it means the world to me.